Well, hey friends, great to be with you on this first Sunday of the new year. As I record this message, it's looking like we may be in for a snowy Sunday. So there may be a few more of you watching from home than usual. So whether you are an online regular or just joining us today, I'm really glad you're here. Now, before we jump into today's message, I want to take a moment to celebrate the wonderful Christmas season we enjoyed as a church, and in particular, our Christmas Eve services, which I know feels like a long time ago. We had about 4,500 people join us in person, which is a thousand more than last year, and another 3,000 join us online, 500 more than last year. So all told, we were able to reach about 7,500 people through our Christmas Eve services, which is a 35% increase over last year. In terms of our giving, December is always a really big month for us, and I'm happy to announce that we met our goal for the month of December, and on top of that, received just over $30,000 for the Haitian Relief Offering. So thanks to all of you who served, who prayed, who gave, who invited a friend, and who joined us in person or online. And if Christmas Eve was one of your first times with us, we're glad you're with us today as we begin a new series and a new year. In fact, that's where we're going to begin, with new things. I think it's safe to say that, generally speaking, we like new things. New car, new phone, new clothes, new friends. And as crazy as it sounds, Patriot fans may even be ready for a new coach. Uh, but it's not just the new thing itself that we enjoy. It's the possibilities the new thing opens up. A new car means riding in comfort and safety and reliability. New clothes means a new look, a, a new swagger to your step. New phone means better and faster access to people and information. A new friend means new conversation, new adventures. And the same thing is true of the new year. It offers us new possibilities, a fresh start, a second or third chance at something we've always wanted to do or be. That's why we make resolutions to get healthy, to get organized, to get more involved, to stop some bad habit or start a new one. And we make those resolutions believing that life will be better on the other side of that new thing. Now, the bad news is most of those resolutions fail. Now, I won't give you the percentage because it's too depressing, but most of those new things don't make it to the end of January. And one of the main reasons they fail, experts tell us, is that we're not really ready for the new thing. We haven't taken the time and effort to think through the new thing, why it matters, how long it will take, what steps we have to take to get there. So the new thing fails for lack of preparation. But before you get too depressed about that, I should tell you I have good news for you. When God does a new thing, he always prepares the way. Now, today, we're beginning a new teaching series from the Gospel of Mark entitled, Kingdom Come, When God Does Something New. Now, our theme for this ministry year is new beginnings. We believe God has new things in store for our lives and for Grace Chapel. So we spent the fall season in the book of Genesis grounding our vision for the future by looking to the past, to the way past, all the way back to God's purposes from the very beginning of creation. 
And we took a break from that theme in Advent, but for the winter, we'd like to return to the New Beginnings theme, this time focusing on the beginning of the good news about Jesus, as told in the New Testament book of Mark. So for the next several weeks, we're going to focus on the opening chapters of that gospel, chapters 1 through 3, and the new things God set in motion through Jesus. I don't know what your New Year's resolutions might be, what new thing you're hoping for in in your life or home or church this year, but I believe that new thing has a better chance of becoming a reality when you invite God into the experience. And that's what we're going to be doing the next several weeks. So let's jump into these opening verses and see what they have to teach us about when and how God does new things. The first thing we're going to learn is that when God does a new thing, it's always good. Uh, The opening verse of Mark's gospel makes that clear. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. From these very first words, we learn that God is a God of new things, of new beginnings. Mark knew that that word beginning would immediately take his readers back to the book of Genesis, to the beginning of all things. He wanted them to know that he was announcing nothing less than a new creation, a new kingdom, which we'll talk more about next week. And this new thing, this new kingdom, was good news. Now, we think of the word gospel or good news as a distinctively Christian phrase, but it was actually a pagan idiom used by the Romans to describe uh, any great moment or event, uh, a military victory, the birth or crowning of a new emperor. Mark is telling his readers that the ministry of Jesus would change lives, change the world even, for the better. And the first readers of this gospel desperately needed good news. Uh, Most scholars believe the Gospel of Mark was the earliest of the Gospels, likely written somewhere around 70 AD, which was a time of bad news for both Jews and for the early Christians. Two disastrous things happened around that time. First, in 64 AD, a fire broke out at the Circus Maximus in Rome, the central marketplace, and it burned for three days, destroying 70% of the city. Nero blamed the fire on Christians, and that set in motion a great persecution of Christians throughout the empire. Secondly, a Jewish revolt against the occupying Romans that began about 66 AD had failed miserably. Tens of thousands of Jews had been brutally killed, including women and children. It was as horrific as what's happening in Israel and Gaza right now. And by 70 AD, Jerusalem and the temple lay in ruins. The Jewish people and way of life were being threatened with extinction. All that to say that 70 AD was an especially grim time for both Jews and Christians. Uh, The Roman historian Tacitus describes it this way. The history on which I am entering in is that of a period rich in disaster, terrible with battles, torn by civil struggles, horrible even in peace. 
And according to a contemporary commentator, it would have felt to people of faith like the end of the world. And it was in such a time that Mark announces the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, I take the time to point that out because these can feel like grim times these days for people of faith and for all people, really. There's no shortage of bad news coming to us from all over the world. Wars and natural disasters, and people on the run, and climate change and pandemics and political extremism. People of faith, whether Jewish or Christian or Muslim, often feel like they're under attack. And while Christianity is flourishing in some parts of the world, here in the States and in much of the Western world, fewer people than ever seem to be going to church or taking their faith seriously. So now, more than ever, we need to hear good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, we need to know that God is the God of new things, of new beginnings, that He's always on the move, and that when God does a new thing, it's always good. Now, that new thing may not be what we expected or, or even what we were hoping for. Now, when Mark announced Jesus as the Messiah, the people would have had in mind a political leader, a military conqueror. They expected Rome to be overthrown, Jerusalem to be rebuilt, temple worship to be reestablished. That's why there was such disappointment and even anger when Jesus refused political power and forbid his followers from taking up arms. The new thing God was doing was better than all of that. It was a spiritual kingdom. It was a revolution of the heart. It just didn't feel better at the time. And we, we've been through a, a rough few years as a nation and as the church. COVID, political polarization, racial tension, economic uncertainty, religious disenchantment have all taken a toll on our spirits and on our institutions. Let's not forget that church as we've known it was shut down for 14 months just a few years ago. And we're still finding our way to whatever new forms the church needs to take to, to reach new generations and respond to new challenges and opportunities. But knowing that God is the God of new beginnings, as Mark reminds us, means we can trust God to do something good with all of this, to reshape the church and re-energize His people and revive His work in the world. And the same thing is true for our personal lives. My guess is that some of us have had a rough year, or two or three, as individuals or families. Maybe you or someone you love is in a rough season right now, financially, relationally, physically, or emotionally. The future may not be what you were expecting. But you can trust God to do something good with whatever is happening right now. That new thing may not be easy or comfortable. It may not be what you were expecting or hoping for. But it can be good and redemptive and eternally significant. Now, by good, I mean it can advance God's good purpose for your life, 
to form you into the Christ-like person you were meant to be and to bless the world through you. By redemptive, I mean God can take bad things, awful things even, and work something good out of them. By eternally significant, I mean that however bad things get in this life, our light and momentary troubles, as Paul calls them, cannot outweigh the eternal goodness and glory that awaits us and those we love in Christ. When God does a new thing, it's always good. The second thing we learn from Mark is that when God does a new thing, he always prepares the way. Let's continue our way reading through Mark's opening lines here. Verse 2. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, now notice that for Mark, the good news about Jesus doesn't begin in Bethlehem with a baby in a manger or even in Galilee where Jesus began his public ministry. For Mark, the good news began hundreds and even thousands of years earlier when God first began to form a people for himself. Uh, the quotation here is actually a mashup of three Old Testament texts, reaching all the way back to Exodus 23 and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Then, then to the ministry of Isaiah, the prophet just before the exile and concluding with Malachi, the final prophet of what we call the Old Testament. Mark is telling us that this new thing God is doing in Jesus has been in the works for a long, long time. That for thousands of years, God has been preparing his people, preparing the world for the ministry of his son, Jesus. And that preparation continued right up to the months just before Jesus appearing with the ministry of someone we call John the Baptist, or more accurately, John the Baptizer. Baptists hadn't been invented yet. Uh, let's pick up the reading at verse 4. And John came, baptizing in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, we'll talk more about John and his message of repentance next week. Uh, enough to point out here that God was very intentionally preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. John's ministry was meant to get people's attention, which it certainly did. If you've watched The Chosen, I think they do a pretty good job of capturing the, the wildness, the out-of-the-ordinariness of John and his ministry. So much so that people flocked to the Judean wilderness to hear him, which was no easy trek, by the way, and, and which was also a radical departure from the way Jews normally sought and related to God. Normally, Jews went to the city, to the temple, to draw near to God, not to the wilderness. And normally it was non-Jews who needed to repent and be baptized, not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Once again, Mark was making it clear that this new thing that God was doing in Jesus was so new that he needed to prepare the way, 
to prepare the nation and to prepare people's hearts for the message and ministry of Jesus. Because it was not going to look like what they were used to. And in a similar way, I believe God has been preparing us, preparing Grace Chapel, and each of us individually for the new things He wants to do in our lives and our church. As rough as those COVID years were, with the shutdown and the polarization and the reshuffling of people, I believe God used that experience to prepare us for a new season of ministry. We gained new skills and new staff and a new ministry platform through that experience. A digital ministry that enables us to reach thousands of people that we might never have reached before, anytime, anywhere. A ministry that enriches all our ministries with with beautiful content, with Zoom and hybrid options for just about everything we do. The shutdown forced us out of our buildings and into the community to love and serve our neighbors, to partner with agencies we'd never partnered with before. We renewed our heart and vision for social and racial justice, which we had neglected for too long. Politically, we learned that the gospel cannot be tethered or trusted to any particular party or movement. And all of this has cleared the way for us to reimagine church and reframe the gospel in ways that will connect with younger generations and and de-churched people. And in the same way that Mark reminds his Jewish readers that the new thing God was doing in Jesus was birthed out of their long history as a nation, I find it interesting that in the providence of God, we celebrated Grace Chapel's 75th anniversary this year. It ended up being a, a bigger deal than we even anticipated. As we As we revisited the history of the church, we were reminded of our founding vision to share the good news of Christ with as many people as possible in greater Boston and beyond. And as we remembered the ways God had guided and provided in the past, we found faith and courage to trust God with the next chapter as well. I believe God has been working in and through all of this and through our senior pastor transition to prepare us for the new things he wants to do in and through Grace Chapel. And I believe he's doing the same thing in our personal lives. From your earliest moments in this world to your most recent moments, God has prepared preparing you for new and good things. In the book of Psalms, David writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's true for every human being no matter who you are or how you came into this world. And in the New Testament book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Whatever new thing God wants to do in and through your life this year, He's been preparing you for it from the moment you were born. 
Whether you were born into poverty or plenty, into a happy family or a troubled one, whether you were raised with faith or without it, in this country or another country, whether you are typically abled or differently abled, God has been preparing you from the beginning to do something unique in this world, something good and eternally significant. And that preparation includes whatever has been happening in your life lately. Good or bad, God can work with it and do something new with it. I believe that with all my heart. What might that new thing be? What does God want you to learn or to accomplish this year? Who does he want you to bless or be blessed by? Where does he want you to invest your time and talent and energy this year? Whatever or wherever it is, God has been preparing you for it all along. I was talking recently with a woman from church named Nancy. She attended Grace some years ago and had a life-changing experience at Celebrate Recovery. She moved to Florida for a time, but after a troubled marriage that, that ended in divorce, she found her way back to Massachusetts and to Grace Chapel, uncertain of what was next for her. Now, along the way, she had become deeply involved with the ministry of CR and and had received some leadership training in another church and at Saddleback Church out in California, where a Celebrate Recovery originated. Now, she wasn't sure exactly what to do with this passion and training, and for a little while, she felt a little bit lost. But as it turned out, not long after returning to Grace, our CR ministry found itself in a season of transition, and she joined the leadership team just in time for a new thing God is doing in our CR ministry, which actually begins in two weeks on January 22nd. And Nancy told me that as she reflected on all she had been through in the past years, the good, the bad, and the ugly, she realizes that God had been preparing her for this very season in her life and the life of Grace Chapel. When God does a new thing in the life of a church or an individual, he always prepares the way. And I believe that's true of our senior pastor's search as well. When I look back on how and when I came to Grace Chapel, I see all the ways God had been preparing me for this role. The church I grew up in was remarkably similar to Grace Chapel, a thriving, vibrant church in a major northeastern city. The first time I walked into Grace, I felt right at home. Gordon MacDonald, my predecessor, had been a very influential figure in my formative years as a student and a young pastor. I'd read his books and studied his preaching and, and had actually followed Grace Chapel's growth and trajectory. My experiences with stewardship campaigns and building projects in my former church enabled me to hit the ground running my first few years here at Grace. Even the dark night of the soul I had experienced just a year or so prior to coming here, a season of doubt and discouragement that nearly wrecked me, ended up strengthening my faith and giving me confidence to trust God for this new assignment. Now, I still had a lot to learn and would make plenty of mistakes, but I had the sense that God had been preparing me my whole life for this role. And I believe that God is doing a similar work 
in the life of the next senior pastor of Grace Chapel, whoever and wherever that person might be. Because when God does a new thing, he always prepares the way. Well, the third thing we learn in these opening lines of Mark's gospel is that when God does a new thing, he always points us toward Jesus, which is exactly what John the baptizer did. Let's pick up the reading at verse 7. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The message and ministry of Jesus was going to be so new, so different from anything people had experienced or expected, that God had to send a messenger ahead of him to prepare people for who and what they were going to encounter in Jesus of Nazareth. Now, as we already said, John himself was a striking figure who gained a considerable following. His ministry rocked the religious establishment of the day, brought down the wrath of the local governor. But it was nothing compared to the revolution Jesus of Nazareth would set in motion. Jesus would unleash the transforming power of God's Spirit into the world. Now, we'll talk more about Jesus next week when we explore the second half of this passage. Enough for now to to say that when God does new things in our personal lives, in the church, in the world, it it always centers on Jesus. I I was talking with someone after one of the Christmas Eve services. Uh, She told me she's been coming to Christmas Eve for several years after a friend invited her. She said she always loves the service and, and often comes back for a few Sundays afterwards. But then she said, It gets too Jesus-y for me, and I drop out. (laughs) Now, I get it. Uh, Most people are fairly comfortable talking about faith and God and spirituality and religion. But when you start talking about Jesus as a real person and presence in the world, well, that takes the conversation to a whole new level. It makes it personal and concrete. It demands some kind of response, as we're going to find out as we make our way through this series. Now, we actually had a very nice conversation, and I thanked her for her honesty and feedback and assured her that she was welcome to come and go at Grace whenever she pleased. I even told her about the new series we were starting from the Gospel of Mark. It'll be pretty Jesus-y, I said, but I think you'll like it. All that to say, I am really excited that we'll be spending the next three months in the Gospel of Mark. Because as much as I love this thing called church, much as I love worship and ministry and teaching and and all of you, the reason I'm standing in front of you today is that that Jesus is, is the good news we have to offer to the world. Religion and faith and spirituality are all fine, but Jesus is the difference maker. As Mark tells us in his opening line, he is nothing less than the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So whenever God does a new thing, he always points us toward Jesus. Well, last Sunday, as as Pastor Ruthie was finishing up her message, She challenged us to take a minute 
and consider what new thing might need to happen in our lives this year. And sitting there, right in the front row, in a flash, it came to me all at once, word for word, practically. From finding my identity and purpose as the senior pastor of Grace Chapel, to finding my identity and purpose as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll repeat that because it, it was so clear and vivid to me in that moment. From finding my identity as the senior pastor of Grace Chapel, to finding my identity and purpose as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. See, be, being the senior pastor of Grace Chapel is a big deal to me. It's an honor and a privilege. And it motivates me to seek and follow Jesus every day of my life, to spend time with God in the mornings, to study the scriptures, to pursue a holy life and healthy relationships, to love my neighbors and serve the world. But will I be that devoted to following Jesus when I don't have a crowd of people watching me? When I don't have to stand in front of a congregation and speak for God? When my livelihood doesn't depend on a thriving ministry? I've been a professional Christian my entire adult life. What will it look like to seek and serve Jesus as a regular Christian, as an ordinary Christ follower? That's going to be a new thing for me. And last Sunday, I asked the Lord to start preparing me for it. What new thing might God want to do in your life this year? Who does he want you to be at home, at work, in the neighborhood? What does he want you to learn this year about life, about yourself, about him? Where does he want you to serve this year? Whatever new thing you are hoping to be and do in the year to come, I promise you it will go better if you invite God into the experience. Because when God does a new thing, it's always good. He always prepares the way, and it always points us toward Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to come to the communion table, which reminds us of the life, death, resurrection, and coming again of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So as we do that, let me encourage you to consider Pastor Ruthie's question. What new thing might the Lord want to do in or through you this year? Invite the Lord to meet you as we come to the table. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for a fresh start and a new year. Thank you for the chance to begin it together here today with your word to guide us. Thank you for the possibilities the new year holds for our lives and our church and our world. Help us, Lord. Help me to follow you into whatever new things you are calling us to and preparing us for. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.